also listened to the CEO of Microsoft. I think his name is like Satom something. Um, but he was speaking with Klaus Schwab. And basically what, what, the, what their intention is, is to redesign humanity, the way we work and the way that we live. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today I want to share with you a Zoom call that we did with our mastermind members recently. So I don't usually share that outside of our private group, but we edited it just a little bit. And I want to share this with you. It's kind of long, but I think it's really important. Um, Our mastermind, Take Action for Freedom, Insider's Mastermind. And we study ways that you can disconnect yourself from the Borg, ways that you can detach from the matrix. And I'm talking about the central banking system, how to preserve your wealth, how to invest in the uh, alternate investments that keep you from where we're going, which is this summer they intend to launch the ultimate control grid and bring all financial services under the FedNow uh, system, which I did a whole webinar on. You guys should definitely listen to. But I'm going to share with you a wide-ranging conversation that I and one of the coaches who works for the Mastermind, Andrea, did. We shared with our members, and you'll hear us answering questions in the chat to our members. Uh, And what we're doing is we're reviewing a whole bunch of the panels and interviews and uh, debates that happened at the World Economic Forum last month. So last month, Klaus Schwab, who has headed the World Economic Forum, which is a non-governmental organization, and they believe themselves to rule the world. We never elected them. Most of us never heard of him until three years ago. He was basically the guy that nobody knew for 49 years, and now he's the guy for the last three years that nobody can stand, and all eyes are on him. Well, 2,500 people flew into Davos, Switzerland, as they do every year, and Andrea and I listened to the talks. Uh, There are a lot of them. We listened to the ones that we think are most important, and so this is a wide-ranging conversation. You'll see us jumping topics around. A lot of our Mastermind members have heard us discuss some of these subjects before, But I think that you'll enjoy the conversation. And afterwards, if you'd like to, we'd love to have you join the mastermind. We talk about Bitcoin. We talk about cryptocurrencies. I wouldn't buy 99.9% of the cryptocurrencies out there. But do feel free to join our mastermind and get a free month if that speaks to you. Now, on to the conversation. Hey, everyone. Robin Openshaw here. Welcome to your Take Action for Freedom Insiders Mastermind, um, which I am co-hosting with Coach Andrea. Hello, Andrea. Hey. Are you on your back porch? I'm on my back porch. Um, hopefully, I'll get those Ethernet lines run soon. This is the only place I can sit outside where Wi-Fi works. And I know a lot oh of you God. all know me, and I, I'm always outside. <laughs> well, it's been, a, it's been a beautiful day. I have been working since 7 a.m., but I was like, I'm not going to let this whole day go by without going for a walk. So it was sunny and beautiful here in Florida. So Andrea and I have a lot of stuff that we want to go through. And instead of me, I think I fire hosed you guys last week. Was it 48 minutes, Andrea, or 38 um, before I hand it off to you? So I told her, let's do something different this week. Let me start going through my notes because I'm, I've am i been watching Davos 
I've been watching the panels, the interviews, the debates at the World Economic Forum and taking notes and other things too mixed in that I wanted to share with you. And so I thought I'd go through with you some of my notes and I'll just stop in about 10 or 15 minutes and hand off to Andrea so you can hear someone's voice that is not mine. So we'll kind of go back and forth and you can do the same, Andrea, whenever you want to take a break. I'll review my notes and come back to it when you hand off to me again. But um, one of the things that's been on my mind, you guys, it's based on a, a Substack I wrote, and I referred to it in in a Substack I wrote, which is my blog, which you should go to if you want to, which is substack.com slash Robin Openshaw. I'm a better writer than anything else, but you left me to my own devices and I could do anything I want for a living. And I didn't need to run a company or, or do marketing. I would 100% just write. Um, Somebody I mentioned the token economy I developed when I was about 30, 32 years old. And I actually had a whole bunch of moms get together. We had a meeting and we had those little tickets that you can get at any like party store or whatever. And I can't remember how we marked them. I mean, this has literally been 20, 25 years ago. And, um, but we marked them somehow so that somebody couldn't just go buy more. And maybe we had them numbered. I don't know. But every family got to start with like 20 tickets and it was a babysitting co op. And so, you know, here we were, you know, at that stage of life where you have young children and you, you're not playing at the top of your game in your career yet. You're just climbing. You're just trying to make it. And so you have more time than money. And so we would, we all started the same number of tickets and to go out on Saturday night, for instance, I've always gone out on Saturday night. I had to spend, cause I had four children. I had to spend two tickets. So one ticket, you could get your kids babysat if you had one or two children. And then it was two tickets if you had three or four children. And so on Friday night, I'd be like, I'd put the word out and we didn't have text messaging back then. So we had to call and actually phone call people, other moms and say, Hey, is there any way that you want to babysit my kids on Saturday night? And, and by the way, I'm open on Friday night. So sometimes on Friday night, I would babysit like three families, kids. And I'd be like, score, I got so many tickets. And so I just wanted to throw that out there that there's there's things that we think of as old school, like we can never go back to and ways that we're interacting. And I think Andrea will probably like that story. She can give me a thumbs up or a nod if she does, because you know, she's she's out there, you know, coming up with ideas of I'm going to go to the, the farmer's market at, at, here in Flagler Beach and I'm going to get them to take Bitcoin. That's, that's the kind of thing that is going to be happening. We're all thinking differently. We might even be thinking somewhat old school. I mean, farmer's markets are old school and those are the things that we miss, right? The thing I loved about living in Flagler Beach, I live a little further away now, but I'll still come in for First Friday. And it's like, there's an old-timey band, live band on the stage. And I've hung out with Andrea there and a whole bunch of our mutual friends. And so, and like, there's like old people dancing on the stage and there's little kids dancing on the stage and there's artists and there's food trucks. And it's, it's like, Flagler Beach is like, it hasn't changed since the 70s. And, and that's why people like it. And I'm sure Andrew and I are both sort of frustrated with how many people are discovering it. But the, the, this token economy, I mean, that's in my lifetime that it, that, that babysitting co-op went on for like 15 or 20 years. In fact, for all I know, it's still going, you know, my kids aged out and my kids got to the age where they could babysit each other or themselves and I didn't need it anymore. And it was still going strong. So there's all kinds of things that we can do, but let me talk to you about what I learned about the world economic forum. So I was like, I want to watch it, not just for what people say, but what is what is the agenda going on here? Which as a business owner for, I've been a business owner for 35 years now, I have to not just hear what people say, but I have to assess their credibility and I have to figure out, and this is my old therapist stuff, I had to figure out like, what's the thing under the thing, right? 
you guys know this if you're married, right? Like there's the thing that your partner is saying, and then there's the thing that they really mean that they may or may not be conscious of. But I want to kind of tell you what I picked up on observing a whole bunch of panel discussions with people all over the world. These are policymakers. Don't get it in your head that these are celebrities. This this is no like good looking celebrities crowd. They could literally be a cross section of your neighbors. These people don't look impressive. They, they don't even all speak in an impressive way. They just are mostly bureaucrats. So everybody says they fly in on their private jets and they may, and they're clearly very well connected and executives and very high ranking bureaucrats or they wouldn't be on the stage. But for instance, I told you guys about that book I read that my my Wall Street MBA friend just demanded that I read the book called Ready Player One that they made a film out of. He was He was in one of the panels. He wrote a book 14 years ago about the metaverse and they put him on the panel. He was invited to Davos and he was there because he wrote a sci-fi novel 14 years ago called Ready Player One. And I haven't watched the movie. I'm not a movie watcher, but you guys can watch that. And now I guess his sequel, which again, the sequel book was a long time ago. It's called Snow Crash. But I've heard too that Snow Crash is a film now. He was on the stage. And there were a lot of people like that that you're like, really? You're a Davos guy? And in the in the crowd, a lot of those people, you know, I saw an audience where they said, how many of you own crypto? And it's 50%. Okay, these people are concerned about their own future too. So don't don't get this like idea in your head that they're all Bond villains. You know, we think of Klaus Schwab as the Bond villain, but a ton of these people just get invited to Davos because they're recruiting. They're they're trying to spread their message, which is very, very leftist. Um, but probably the most painful thing about watching their panel discussions and debates, debates, this most soft shoe debate you've ever seen, right? Is that they're all kissing each other's butt. Did you notice that, Andrea? They they all, all kiss all each other's time. butt. Yeah, it's, the, it's bad. The only person who didn't, I if you guys um you can watch when Trump spoke at Davos. It was awesome. He did not kiss their butt at all. Uh, you know who really surprised me by being a butt kisser is um, Brad Garlinghouse, who is, I think he's the CEO of Ripple. You guys know that Andrea is a big fan of XRP. I actually bought six figures of XRP. So I don't exactly want to see XRP go to zero. And if they win, like I'm very conflicted about it because I'll make bank. If, But I, I bought more than that and sold over half of what I had bought. But, you know, it's never come back to my buy price to even consider selling it. Plus it's really hard to buy and sell. Brad Garlinghouse is there, even though he's been in a lawsuit, he's been a defendant in a lawsuit, the SEC against Ripple for years. Since I ever heard of XRP, it's been in a lawsuit, which is not resolved as far as I know. You can, Andrew can give us an update if, if I'm wrong, but Brad Garlinghouse is part of a panel with, with a bunch of central banksters and regulators um, talking about how we we got to regulate crypto. We need more aggressive regulation of crypto. We have to protect the people from fraud and from you know uh, the bad guys. And it's like, no, we, we <laughs> it's you. I want protection from all of you people. I want to be protected from you. I'm way more worried about you than criminals. I mean, I don't want to be the victim of a grift either, but I'm way more concerned about the grifters right out in front of us <laughs> than I am the guy who's going to sneak into my yard in my house, right? That's what my gun's for. Um, but Brad Garlinghouse was just, he was toeing the line and he was uh, 
you know, saying we, oh yeah, we support regulation. There needs to be regulation. And and he did get his points in. He, it was very sophisticated. He was like, you know, there are regulations. We are regulated. So they, they'll get their points in and you have to listen really carefully. You kind of can't listen to World Economic Forum panels unless you're really focusing and you're a person who can see beneath what is being said. Every day, all day, people send me content and I'm like, yeah, but because I always see the thing under the thing. So, um, and, and not only are they all always kissing each other's butts, um, on the stage because probably they're, they're very aware that a hundred thousand people might watch this video. A million people might watch this video, but they're also constantly gushing about how, for instance, how fantastic the inflation reduction act is, right? The, the trillion dollar spending package that does the exact opposite of what its title is creating inflation, right? Um, To me, that's like cheering for a crack addict who has maxed out 30 credit cards and owes every single one of his neighbors and every member of his family money he'll never be able to pay back and cheering for him and wanting to give him more crack. That's that's basically what that is. And, And they were all doing it and they just mostly want to talk about how we have to spend more. And oh, another big theme, saw this so many times, is all these European and North American fat cat bureaucrats who probably never had to actually create a product or deliver a service in the private sector in their lives. Don't understand, they don't understand the private sector at all. Um, talking about how the, the rich countries need to finance green energy and supply chains and you, you know, you name it and mostly energy in the poor countries. And I'm like, wait, so, so are, are we the rich country? Um, I think that they've, created $15 trillion out of thin air and dumped it into our economy. We're the worst crack addicts around, right? And it's not that these other countries aren't also deep in debt. And I guess we're rich because you, Kathy, and you, Laura, and you, Andrea, are working. You're you're the rich here in America because we're actually like exchanging value and creating something of value to people. We're the ones who pr- produce goods and services and support this whole thing so that they can make their minimum monthly payment, basically, right? So um, I, my husband was listening to me uh, all the way up to bed. I was listening to World Economic Forum last night and listening to them talk about um, all the spending that we need to do and how much more spending we have to, and spending will save us from this. And if we could just spend more and if the rich con- countries could spend for the poor countries, and he said, Sorry, this is a little bit vulgar, so please don't be mad at me. But he said, they piss on you and they tell you it's raining. <laughs> and so I, that's that's a major theme that I just saw is that they see government spending and more government spending and more government spending as a solution to everything. There was one panel where they put Kristalina Georgina with a microphone in her hand and she had like three minutes and that's all she contributed to this whole panel. She's like the head of the IMF which is the central bank of central banks. And I am super curious about her. Like, how did this woman get in this position? Is it just that she can speak intelligently and she'll absolutely sell her soul to the devil? I don't know. But literally the three minutes that she spent flies all the way to Switzerland. And this is what she says in three minutes. I'm going to tell it to you. You ready? Things aren't really all that bad, but things aren't really all that good. That's all. That's all she said. So 
the agenda seems to be like, if you had three minutes in front of a global audience and you're seen as one of the elites of the world, why would that be what you want people to know? And that's basically what they seem to want us to know is um, you're very vulnerable. Things kind of suck, but we, we, the people who print money, don't get scared and don't march in the streets and whatever you do, don't buy a gun and don't buy Bitcoin and don't create alternative token economies that we got you. We got you because we're going to put up all these concrete jungles, right? They showed this very glamorous thing about how they're going to be able to 3d print homes. You guys heard of this? I can only see Kathy and Andrea. So has any, either of you heard of the 3d printing of homes and no. they're, they're showing video about it. And it just shows like concrete pouring. And they're like, we can create these homes with 330 man hours. Well, that's pretty impressive given how much labor goes into building a house, but um, who's going to live in the concrete jungle in the tiny little studio apartment? Um, I'll tell you who it is is that as they crush the middle class and the middle class can't afford to run their business anymore and they lose their job and they're deep in debt and they may hate what they're being offered on principle, but they don't see any other options. They get the UBI and the universal basic income will pay for my house here with an, an acre and a half where I can have my own fruit trees. No, if I'm in too much debt, they we're getting, we're getting the grind. And so I don't mean to scare you guys, but I'm trying to see what, what is the agenda here? What are they doing here? Why does Klaus Schwab fly all these people in and what do they all have in common? And what's the thing that's not being said, right? So they're aware that they're not just in that room talking to that group of hundred people in their breakout group at their conference. They're aware that the world is watching and they have a very, very light touch on the real problems in the world. And they basically act like we we got this. We've got you. We we here are going to take care of this. And it's very easy to get lulled into a sense of complacency and think, well, maybe they're like way smarter than me. Um, there was a uh, there was a panel, or it was actually an interview of Klaus Schwab of the CEO of Microsoft that was really tough to listen to because clearly they go way back. They want, they wanted everybody to know who's listening, what besties they are and how hard left they are. I was texting with Andrea right before we did this tonight. And, and we were talking about Klaus Schwab and I said, yeah, he spent 50 years thinking how much it sucks that nobody knows him. And then he spent the last two years thinking how much it sucks that everybody hates him. <laughs> right. He was the, he's been running this thing for 52 years. And nobody knew who he was for 50 years, and now everyone hates him. So, in fact, apparently his staff doesn't like him. Like, there's some media out there saying that there's sort of an uprising at the World Economic Forum, and his, that he has no successor, kind of like Xi Jinping in China. Um, the criticism is he's done nothing to cultivate what the, the backup plan is. Isn't he 82? 82, Andrea? Yeah, and... and- you know, Robin, the World Economic Forum was created when the United States was taken off the gold standard. That same year. Yep. Yeah, it's that's probably no accident. I mean, it could be coincidence, but I doubt it. 
So they're they're all about technology. They're the Microsoft CEO interview was was Klaus Schwab and him just geeking out on how they're creating a revolution. I mean, the, this is the kind of words they're using. They want it to be that aggressive and they call it a revolution. And the Microsoft CEO, I don't know his name. He's not, it's not an American name. And I, the name eludes me some, something maybe Middle Eastern. Um, but he says that since all the big tech startups, remember the whole dot-com thing in 2009, they've been advancing the technologies and the platforms that we were delivered back then. But now we have, you know, they're obviously completely losing their minds over chat GPT. Um, they, they absolutely love all the green energy choking out oil and gas. I saw one person on one panel say, Hey, I know that this is really unpopular, but we kind of need the oil and gas for a while, but there's some buzz out there about, I've had a couple people tell me because Jeffrey Jackson talked about this on the high wire last Thursday that six out of seven of the G7 nations heads of state didn't show up to the world economic forum. And I wouldn't, I, I do actually have some positive comments to make after I, I'm going to hand off to Andre here in a minute, but I wouldn't go in too big on the idea of, Oh, the world economic forum is falling apart. All their plans are are becoming dismantled. I actually think there's a lot of that. I think they're very frustrated that bled out in multiple times that they are frustrated that their plans are not going well. They're extremely unpopular. The people are waking up to their program. I mean, Ron DeSantis is talking about the World Economic Forum all the time now. Um, I doubt these governors, I doubt there were three governors that even had heard of the World Economic Forum two years ago. And now you have governors using the microphone and the media and saying what they think about the World Economic Forum's agenda. But apparently, so the only G7 country who sent their premier, president, prime minister, whatever they call them, uh, is Germany, of course, right? Same one that went to the tabletop exercise for the next the next pandemic, pan- pandemic in Africa. There were no Western nations there except there. I wouldn't get too excited about that because, first of all, the U.S. was very well represented at Davos. Lots and lots and lots of elite Americans and Europeans and Canadians. I think probably the reason the heads of states didn't go is just it's a bad look PR-wise right now. Um, but them them not flying out and being there, they probably all asked each other, are you going? No, uh, I don't know. People don't like it kind of thing. So I think it's cool that six out of seven of the G7 nation states uh Leaders didn't go, but they're they're the big corporations were there, the banksters were all there. So anyway, um, let's see if I want to wrap up anything else about so yeah, so they're they're pitching the Microsoft guy with with Klaus Schwab were pitching about their little tiny homes that they'll make with 3D printers involving only 330 man hours. Um and and yet, like what why are we building these 15-minute cities like Somebody's getting displaced. Our whole huge rural suburban areas just supposed to be these abandoned wastelands so that everybody gets crammed into the concrete jungle because like they are pushing the negative growth rate. They want the depopulation. They want the abortions. They want the bioweapon vaccines. They want Africa and India to stop having children. They want negative growth rate in, in China. And yet they're want to build all these tiny little houses. Think about that. How does that make sense? So they don't want us out here in suburbia, the upper middle class, 
who maybe we have our homes paid off or we have some savings in the bank. They're we're we're their enemy. Um, and so these are the things that I just kind of think about, but I think I'll hand off to Andrea for a little while. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, welcome back everybody. So, you know, it's so hard to cover, you know, it's almost a week now that these folks are meeting in Davos. Obviously they focus a lot about the economy, which Robin covered. And, you know, I kind of wanted to dive in a little bit and talk about uh, the metaverse. Um, it was a big, big topic of discussion at the World Economic Forum. And it seems that the next push um, to get people to interact with each other online is going to be through um, where we work. So if you all are working at a job, at a major corporation, Keep an eye on this. Okay. We know that Apple just released like a $3,000 VR headset. So eventually we'll wear the headset and not get a headache. Cause right now a lot of people don't really like wearing them, but it's really interesting that, that Klaus Schwab, you know, he just, and again, it's like they boast. They're so, they're so like full of pride, um, developing, you know, a metaverse to like, collaborate and bring together the global community. So what I did was I jumped on the World Economic Forum's website and I'm going to post it. So there you go. That's their entire like outline of the metaverse, um, which we're going to, you know, dive in deep. And again, listening to, I also listened to the CEO of Microsoft. I think his name is like Satom something. Um, but he was speaking with Klaus Schwab and basically what, what, the, what their intention is, is to redesign humanity, the way we work and the way that we live. Okay. So really want to keep that in mind. I mean, it got me so fired up that you could go to YouTube. I, I did like probably like a nine minute um, highlight of all the automation, the GPT just go to two women in crypto under YouTube and it's like a nine and a half minute video and you can listen to these folks speak and get, and just, you know, you got to sometimes listen a little bit past like their enthusiasm because a lot of people will be like, Oh, this is great. But we know that the idea behind the world economic forums metaverse and a lot of their plans is for more centralization, right? So Robin and I were chatting, um, you know, right before the class. And I was just like, you know, today let's talk about the World Economic Forum, the highlights, some of the things that we pulled out of it. But then, you know, next week we're going to put together a class on how to opt out because as much as these centralized systems are coming at these people are not going to stop. I listen to them all. They're not going to stop. But at the same time, Decentralized internet, decentralized phones, decentralized social media is getting better. So I'll be doing a deep dive over the next week and, and see where we're at with some of these projects, right? And I think that's just so important to note because again, like when I listened to Microsoft, the CEO of Microsoft, and he was like, you know, we're definitely going to keep this design of like AI and the metaverse human centered, 
do we trust Microsoft? They've been collecting our data all these years. They've been collecting our data and learning what we like, what we don't like, what ads they should give us, like how to like get a response out of us. I totally agree. You have to listen. I, I loved what Andrea just said. You have to listen past their words for what it is they're trying to condition you with. And it's actually a pretty interesting exercise. And I don't think that you necessarily have to see everybody there as you know the bad guys who want to take over the world. All they know is their little corner of it. I don't think most of these people are aware of how big this agenda is. A lot of them are. A lot of them are. Kristalina uh, Georgina, <laughs> she is. But um, another theme until Andrea comes back is that they were uh, they they want to blame the Ukraine Russia thing going on the war with for the poly crisis, right? So that's the new word we'll be hearing is the poly crisis, um, and they you know they don't want you to blame the COVID debacle and the vaccines and the stay at home economy and sending people home with pay. For a year, which just sends dominoes falling in a row, right? They don't want you looking over there. They want you looking over here at Russia, Ukraine, which, um, you know, whatever you think about the Russia Ukraine war, uh, never let a good crisis go to waste. And so they're blaming the poly crisis on things like that. They admit that food scarcity and the cost of living crisis is our bigger issue, but they don't want to talk about that. They want to go, but we got to talk about, we got to talk about climate change. You know, we got to always talk about the climate change thing. So um, to, back to something that Andrea said, and we'll see if she comes back in. She mentioned the $3,000 VR headset. Just think about that for a minute. You guys were here. Y'all, you're all old enough that you will remember what's it been 25 years ago. I was like out of college and I was a secretary to the assistant of the president of a steel company. And he ran for Congress and everybody who was anybody in the state was in and out of our office. Um, So I was basically the secretary to the big boss of a a big steel company. And it's a bunch of lawyers came in and bought this steel company so that it didn't end up being owned by Japan. So they were kind of like heroes to some people, but they're polluting the air and hated, hated by other people, kept all the steel workers jobs from going under. So everybody either loved them or hated them. Had a lot of interesting experiences, but my boss had the first cell phone that I'd ever heard of or seen. And you remember it was like a brick. You it, you could not put it in your pocket. But I, I want to say that that first cell phone was a couple thousand dollars. And people always want to act like, oh, the rich with all their consumption or whatever. But it's the people who buy the three thousand dollar VR headset that actually finance that technology in being able to advance. Because there's a people like my boss, my old boss Joe Cannon, in Utah who, you know, he had, he had to have it It, when none of us even knew what it was. And so he had the brick cell phone and we could call him and in his car and he would talk to us and it'd be like, you know, it's like a terrible cell phone, but he paid a few thousand dollars for that cell phone. And now we all have a cell phone. Nobody, you know, doesn't have a smartphone, right? Except my husband's parents don't, and they might be the smart ones among us. But anyways, that $3,000 VR headset is how that's their alpha model and the rich people pay for it. And that's how it gets less expensive for the rest of us. And while we're waiting for Andrew to come back in, um, I saw, by the way, for those of you who want to watch uh, Klaus Schwab interview the Microsoft CEO, I saw that Lori has shared that with you in the chat. So you can grab that if you want. Um, but one big company 
uh, CEO lectured other people, um, all the other panelists, and just sort of held court on how employers should pay their employees a living wage, not slave wages. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Like the, the market system dictates that. Like I don't pay my employees well because I'm a good person. I mean, I am a good person, but that's not like lecturing people like bureaucrats lecturing people about how they should pay their employees a, a living wage and not a slave wage. They say this stuff because it lulls everybody in the audience into a complacent coma where they do not realize that everybody thinks that nobody thinks that that employees should be paid a slave wage. And so you kind of have to live, look past it. And it's almost like they're scripted because then another guy said, yeah, but you know what? We, we also have to not forget about the middle class, right? The middle class are falling into poverty and they, they you know, they're, they're not going to be able to afford their lifestyle. And then everybody where everybody agrees. Okay. Here's the thing beneath the thing. They all come together on it's the policy mix of government that is the answer, right? So how the free market system used to work, and I honestly don't believe most people even understand what the free market system is anymore, is that supply and demand dictate what like what you pay your employees is you got to pay your employees enough that they don't want to leave, right? I have to pay my employees enough that they don't want to go get another job. Now, we're headed into an employer, an employee's, or I'm sorry, an employer's market. Okay. We've been kind of in an employee's market, especially if for low wage jobs, any employee can walk in and probably negotiate for a couple bucks an hour more because the low wage unemployment uh, employment situation has been so desperate that businesses have closed. There's there's like Arby's that have to close the drive through. They just can't get the low wage workers because they can sit at home and collect disability or uh, unemployment. I, maybe I've mentioned to you guys that in 2021 and 2022, there's three million new disability claims. Three million new Americans applied for disability in 2021 and 2022. I have my concerns about what the the, vac- the vaccine contributed to that. Um, but a lot of people, if they can, they will, right? So anyways, on this panel, this is the kind of way that it went is that that they were conditioning us that it will be government that saves us from the collapse of the middle class. And they're kind of, they're kind of announcing that the middle class is losing their homes. They'll lose, they'll fall into poverty. They won't be able to afford their lifestyle. Hey, we're here to try to fight for, to retain our lifestyle, to retain our American values, to retain our freedoms. I'm not telling you that everything's going to hell in a handbasket next week or next year. I'm not. I hope that this never happens. I hope that the people are waking up fast enough that we collectively push back on this. But I almost could sense the fear of the elites that the people rise up. Everything seemed to have that veneer on it. Like keep the people calm, keep the people complacent, keep the people thinking that we, the elites, the bureaucrats, the government, the World Economic Forum will save you. That's kind of like this syrupy thing that's like sticky all over everything that they say. And, you know, the people on the left, the political liberals would love everything they said. And the and the political conservatives would be confused. The, even the political conservatives will be confused because who's going to disagree with that? You know what? Everyone should pay their employees a fair living wage. 
right? Who's going to disagree with that? Why is that even worth stage time? It's ridiculous. Uh, if we believed in a free market system, we would pay our employees a living wage because otherwise they'll go work for somebody who will pay them better, right? I actually heard one guy refer to himself and everyone else in the room as the elites. I literally heard that come out of their mouths. I, I didn't. I didn't think I'd hear that, but they see themselves as the elites. They know they're there. They're at the the best cocktail party in the world, right? Right now, right. So super interesting to me that they want to build. They want to build all these homes when we have. So that's where I was going before. Is if if we have negative growth rate, we have we're we have we have fewer people adulting, especially fewer people capable of actually working who've ever done anything in their lives besides gaming. We have fewer people adulting into the workforce than we have all these all these boomers that are living longer. Um, who are all the homes for? If our birth rate is way, way down, and that's really, it's globally, there are countries that are still having babies. The US is one of them and France is one of them. Who are they building all these homes for? Like we have enough homes. We don't have a homes shortage. And we may, and we look like we're heading into a home surplus. So why are they obsessed with building? Just some things to think about. Andrea's back. Go ahead, Andrea. You know, I'm starting to think they're like tapping into our Zoom links. They don't like what we're saying. <laughs> Sorry about that. So I kind of picked up on, on what you said. Um, I've been, you know, I'm just going to jump in and kind of continue what Robin was saying with why are they going to be building all these homes? I saw a document, and I don't know if anyone else has read about this, but involuntary migration. So I'm wondering, you know, if there's going or if they're planning on some sort of disruption where we're going to be forced to leave our homes. I I think about that a lot, living so close to the beach and we have a climate emergency, like they're pushing that kind of agenda. So what would happen, and I know this has happened to people in the community in Flagler Beach, when they drop your homeowner's insurance, and if you still have a mortgage on your house, you need hazard insurance to have a mortgage. What can you do, right? Because I know there's folks that can't handle a 30, 40, 50% increase in their homeowner's insurance. Um, Mine went up 33% you know, the last bill that I paid. So, you know, I think that could be, um, you know, part of this plan. And we've covered smart cities. They want probably about 85% of the population to eventually live in smart cities. Well, how are you going to convince so many people to live in a much smaller space? That's probably going to be 3D printed. I think about that too. How are they going to build these smart cities so quickly? Well, they have the technology to do it now. You know, it, it takes a, a couple of weeks or a couple of months to build the walls of a, of a house. But with 3D printing, it takes two days. So, you know, just something to like think about. And again, I'm not against this technology. I think that it's a great way to provide affordable housing but leave the smart out of it. The concrete walls, it preserves, it, you know, it gives it like that coolness and it also keeps in the heat. So there's there's good aspects of, of almost all of this technology. 
but it's how it's used. And that's something I go over and over again. A lot of this technology is neutral or good. If we can print really low-income, affordable housing, look at how much homelessness has increased. But unfortunately, their plan is to move everybody into smart cities. And we saw Bill Gates. He's the largest owner of farmland in the United States. Well, sure enough, he wants to build a smart city in Phoenix. Uh, the billionaire you know, executive from Walmart, he's starting uh, a smart city concept in the desert of Arizona called Tulusa. So what's going to happen is are corporations going to own cities that we're going to live in and rent from them? You know, it's just things that I think about. Um, can so, I, yeah. can I ahead. pipe up for a minute? Sure thing. Yeah. So Lori shared a link. If you guys aren't aware that we had um, excess death in 2022 increased by 40%. And the fact that that's never happened before in the history of the insurance industry, but insurance executives talk about, it. of course, the mainstream media won't touch it. They won't touch that with a 10 foot pole. My guess is that, I mean, if the NFL was paid $18 billion and then at the jump to push the VAX agenda and they're never going to back down, they're never going to back down and say, oh yeah, the vaccines are what have all these athletes, what 1600 of them in Europe. Now we have some really elite NFL players, a bunch of them, a dozen of them dropped dead of a heart attack, died in their sleep of a heart attack in their thirties, twenties. Um, they are not going to back down off of that. And one, one thing I would call your attention to, which is an example, is that the dental industry, the American Dental Association, ADA, that educates and governs you know, what, tens of thousands of dentists all over the U.S., they will never admit that the mercury in metal fillings um, is what makes dentists the most suicidal profession there is with the most depression. Um, the most neurological disease, the most cancer, they won't admit that there's metal fillings in millions and millions and millions of mouths that have ca caused untold misery. Those They get micro cracks in them. It crosses the blood-brain barrier. They're never going to admit that. They can never back down because they would be liable for the biggest class action in lawsuit in the history of humans. If they ever back down, the NFL is never going to say, well, we think we think it's the jabs killing our players and giving our players heart attacks. And that's why DeMar Hamlin's never going to play in the NFL again. I, I predicted that on Facebook. It's, he's never going to play in the NFL again. He's 24 years old. Um, so I predict I would imagine that the life insurance companies, why aren't they screaming? You know, life insurance companies, the big public companies are trading down 30 percent right now. Why? Because they're paying out so much that affects their revenue, right? They're only collecting so much in premiums and deductibles, but then they're having to pay out so much more because there's 40% more death last year, okay? 10% is considered catastrophic. Like that's a once in 200 years event. We didn't see a 10% increase in death. We saw a 40% increase in death. Nobody will talk about it on mainstream media. Why is that? Um, another thing I think it's really important that Andrea said, because we get we get in our... Um, we have our cognitive biases. We kind of only let in the things that fit our worldview and our cognitive bias is that there's good and bad about both. I agree. Like, it, you know, building a high rise apartment building out of concrete isn't all bad. Bringing down the amount of labor to put up 
there's always been concrete jungles, right? To put up a building, that's not all bad. And that's a thing that, and that's part of what makes this all very confusing is that there are good things about it. And let me give you an example. Is uh, you got anybody, anybody willing to turn on their camera? I want to hear, I want to see how many of you, even if you're just willing to turn it on for a minute, it's always so much nicer for me if I can see you guys. So you can see me. All right. I want to see how many of you raise your, give me a thumbs up if you know what terrain theory of disease is. Okay. I've got a thumbs up. I've got a thumbs down or shaking head. I've got a thumbs up. Um, I've got a no answer. Um, Andrea, totally okay if you don't. Anybody understand terrain theory of disease? I'm not going to call on you to say, but all right. So I got mostly yeses. I, a lot of you are here from my holistic health crowd. So terrain theory of disease is basically you can get exposed to all these pathogens. You're full of pathogens. You're full of viruses. You're full of bacteria. If you set the cycle threshold high enough and ran a PCR test, um, you would test positive for everything. Like my clinic in Switzerland, I took people to for nine years. Um, they told me 85% of people test positive for Epstein-Barr. So they diagnose people with Epstein-Barr and they can sell them a whole bunch of supplements, right? Well, I get in these crazy making conversations with people who are in either cult or the other. Okay. We all saw the germ theory cult out in force in 2020. They took pictures of themselves wearing a diaper on their face. They glared at you or said rude things at you at the store. If you were the one in 20 who didn't join the germ theory cult, if you didn't believe what they were selling in the media, then you were the enemy because you were a walking disease vector and you were going to kill grandma, right? The germ theory people believe there's germs. They're, they're not in me. They're outside me and they're chasing me and they're going to get me and I'm going to die. That's the germ theory of disease. Okay. And there's whole big fat books. And I've read a whole bunch of them for literally 25 years on how the terrain theory is that you as an organism have a very sophisticated immune system and you are actually confronted with pathogens all day, every day. Every one of you has COVID in you. Every single one of you has staph infection in you. Every single one of you has strep in you. Well, why aren't you sick? Do you have a sore throat? I bet most of you don't. If you, if you did, you would have skipped tonight and you would have stayed in bed. So why do we all have strep, strep and staph and COVID and blue bacteria and cancer too. Y'all have cancer too. So why aren't you sick? It's because your immune system is handling it. Well, that's a train theory. Well, listen, I've been studying this for 25 years. I'm not trying to tell you that I'm the final authority, but me, I refuse to join either cult. Okay. There's the Tom Cowan, Andrew Kaufman. They're both medical doctors. One's a psychiatrist. I've interviewed Tom Cowan three times on my podcast. I don't think I've interviewed anybody three times. He is so like, there is no such thing as a virus. This doesn't happen. Viruses don't replicate. Well, of course they do. Of course they do. I, not, and not just because there's thousands of virologists over all over the world who study how viruses replicate and how they replicate and how Omicron was much more transmissible, but, but Delta was way, made you way more sick. I mean, chicken pox, right? There is a transmission factor there, right? I was in a family of 10 and we all got chicken pox. We didn't all get it at the same time, but you know, eventually the virus replicated in us enough that we got the little pox all over us. So what I'm saying is, is that there's good and bad on both sides. Just like Andrea said about the concrete, 
I, you know, and it was right before we got on this thing, a health coach friend of mine, she is just, she's so dogmatic about it. And she's like, there's no such thing as a virus. And I'm a hundred. She likes to sit constantly and tell me I'm a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent terrain theory. And I'm like, great. Well, please explain to me, which I literally had this conversation with her 30 times. Please explain the chicken pox to me. Please explain why my whole family got the chicken pox and we gave it to each other. Why did my mom send us over to the neighbors to kiss the neighbors who had chicken pox? Because she wanted us all to get it at the same time. Of course, that didn't work out. And we had chicken pox for a month and everybody got it at different times. She just wanted to get it over with. Of course, there's transmissibility. Like the evidence is patently obvious that there's some kind of transmission factor. Now, did they create the entire vaccine industry based on germ theory of disease? Yeah. Am I a fan of the vaccines? Yeah. No. Do I think they prevented anything? No. And maybe for a couple of weeks and then you had to get another one. And that's been the case with vaccines since adult, since forever. The whole vaccine thing's been a hoax from the beginning. It took me a long time to wake up to that. Um, it took me a lot of research, read a lot of big fat books, looked at the references. It, it took me a long time to really settle with that. But that's the point I want to make is I, 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 was, I was raised in a tradition where I was told exactly what I could believe. It was extremely dogmatic. It was very some very strange dogmas. And so I'm kind of triggery about being pushed into being in this cult or that cult. Okay, I'm not wearing the face diapers. I'm not going to support that. I'm not going to help spread the fear about the virus. But I also can see that there's a transmission factor. So I, I am not a black and white thinker, and I'm I'm like Andrea. Like I can see, I can see both sides of it. However, in my heart, I still do have emotions, even though I remain open on a lot of these issues. In my heart, I believe in the free market system. It's made me a living. It's made my life better. I think it's made my employees' lives better. I think I've been able to create good jobs. I think I've been able to create good services. We just we just had 950 new detoxers start last month. That's my life's work. I could not do that if I were working for the government. You know how I know that? It's because I've worked for the government. Working for the government, I could not make any change ever. Everything was just bureaucratic, administrative, red tape, told no on everything I wanted to do that could possibly make a difference for my clients my patients. So uh, anyway, let's just point that out. That That's why it's important to have these conversations is because the elites get traction because there's a grain of truth in what they're saying or a, or a big grain of truth. And they know how to latch onto that and they know how to sell that to you. So anyway, I bet you have stuff you want to talk about, Andrea. Well, and I think it's important too, because for us, it's like we have to remain critical thinkers. Like to me, COVID was different because they shut the world down. They shut the economy down and we never went back. So I'm kind of looking at it as like a strategic plan to usher in the fourth industrial revolution with artificial intelligence, with drones. The algorithms are so sophisticated that in not, you know, not too long down the road, these algorithms will know us better than what than than how we know ourselves, right? Because we can't remember what we did five years ago, but Chat GPT would, something like that would, you know, and measuring our body movements. Like, you know, I'm an IT recruiter for over 20 years. So everyone I'm connected with is on LinkedIn and all of the engineers, and I see them posting videos. This is mind blowing technology. And I think the biggest thing that I got to like watching the World Economic Forum and, and the concern that I have with them, because I don't think everyone is bad that goes, but 
why should we give up our critical thinking, our questions, and how we want to shape society and give it up to the 2,500 elites that attend this forum? That is not okay. That's a lot of power to give to people that are trying to reshape society as we know it. And, and again, when, when they came out with those COVID passes, I was like, they want everybody to have a digital ID. It's a really good way to see who's going to comply, who's going to download the app, and then we can gather your information. And I, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in class before, but you know, my wife, she's also a health coach. But she said that the medical industry now, when you go to the doctor, they're tracking the uh, CPT codes. So now they're going to start to say, Andrea didn't get the shot. Andrea is bad. You know, and that's the stuff that we have to be very, very careful about. And so when I look at the World Economic Forum and I look at these leaders and I look at their narrative, it's such an extreme form of centralization. I think, and, what, I think what she's saying, the CPT code is there's a medical code now that goes in your chart that the, the medical code is unvaccinated. Like instead of it being a diagnosis, there's an actual medical code that, that signals to the systems that are integrating more and more that you are unvaccinated, right? Yeah. Yeah. And no matter what, no matter, like, no matter what it is, like when I fell off my bike and I had to get stitches, They asked me if I had been vaccinated. And obviously, according to my reaction, I was not, right? I mean, it's kind of hard. It's it's like an infringement and it doesn't feel right. But, you know, and they're doing that in Florida. So just, you know, we want to be, stay diligent and hopefully, you know, this will pass. Like a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people were worried about losing their jobs, but then that kind of went away. So what's like their next plan? You know, is it going to be some sort of climate issue? Is it going to be cybersecurity? And that's why I like watching the World Economic Forum because they're kind of telling you all the different possibilities that they're thinking of doing. You know, like uh, Christiana Georgieva, the head of the IMF, she said, never let a good crisis go to waste. So they took COVID and now they're reshaping society, putting us into the metaverse to try to wrap their arms around the narrative to control our thoughts. And and when we think about, you know, people who live in under tyrannical governments, like take North Korea, for example, when you when you have small children that only know a tyrannical government, then their children only know a, a tyrannical government. And then the, the people that are our age will remember both worlds, but eventually that's phased out. So that that's like why I think it's so important that people like us keep expressing our opinions and we have a voice so we can shape our society through decentralization. And we'll get there, but how much pain and suffering, how much, how much of the fight is, is going to happen that we don't know. Right. Because again, like I said last week, how many people know that a central bank digital currency, like what, what is it? You know, like, do you have an understanding of what the central bank of America is, what it does? And I just think there's an educational curve. But when people start losing 
the access to their money, the access to the foods that they want to eat, we will see that rise and then they'll start questioning. So kind of like we're all just observing this right now. But, you know, it was really interesting. I was listening to um, one of the legislators from Prague and it was a disinformation panel at the World Economic Forum and uh, Senator or Congressman uh, Mullen was there from uh, Massachusetts. If anybody lives in Massachusetts, you should vote against this guy. But like, so this, this woman from Prague was saying that she went and met with all the leaders in social media, advertising, sat down with Facebook. And she was like, you know, when it comes to disinformation, like, what are you finding? And she's like, what I'm finding is, is that 90% of all of the inquiries to remove content from Facebook comes from the government. And just sit with that for a second. The government is using social media as a tool to create the narrative that they want. And this will lead to more and more mistrust, right? Especially a lot of people who got this experimental shot and who are now sick, or we all know someone who's been negatively affected by this shot, but they're still pushing that agenda. The distrust is just going to continue to grow and we'll reach a tipping point where I think we'll transition into, into decentralization. And the chief of the United Nations, he spoke as well. And I could tell by how he was speaking, it sounded like he, like the, the World Economic Forum was, was losing its grasp a little bit because they're pushing, you know, uh, ESG scores on corporations and greenwashing and all of this stuff with carbon credits. And he was like, a lot of companies just aren't doing this. Of course not. Right, because they yeah, have a business. They have a business a, run. <laughs> it's a good um, point. Is that there's a whole bunch of companies that are starting to push back. Yeah, on the ESG agenda, there are 17 states where the governor and the attorneys general, or at least the attorneys general, are saying we don't want BlackRock in here. We don't want to try to comply with um, ESG, environmental, social governance. Did I finally get it right this time, Lori? Yeah. Um, and. Uh, someone's asking, what what do you do? Those of you who haven't interacted with the medical system and haven't yet been asked to be coded by the medical system as vaccinated or not, I have not interacted with the medical system since like ever. So, I mean, I get like a hormone panel every year, but otherwise like what you, what you do is just keep a total poker face and you just say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't feel like that's relevant to what we're doing here or Something like that. And will they guess and put you down with that code? Maybe, but just try to keep a total poker face and don't give away where you land on that. Stand on your HIPAA rights. Say, isn't that isn't that like illegal for you to ask me that? Don't I don't I have a right to to um privacy of my medical information? I don't really understand why my broken arm is related to the vaccine. Um, but it, yeah, if you if you get too combative, of course they're gonna put you down with that code. But um I also want to, in addition to answering that question, not that I have the final um, answer on that, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to, if I have to interact with a, a doctor, just um, 
just keep a totally cool demeanor and just say, oh, I don't, I don't understand what that has to do with this. Um, and see if they'll just drop it because you actually don't have any obligation to give them your private medical information. They just know that most people will cough it up. Most people say, yes, I am or no, I'm not. And they want to get everybody coded. Um, and I want to put a fine point too on, I was telling you about germ theory and terrain theory. And if, in case you're still out there going, okay, she told me what germ theory is, which is that germs are chasing me and they're going to kill me and I'm going to die. If that's my one sentence. If I have to boil it down, whole books have been written about it. But terrain theory is you have an immune system. It may be strong. It may be kind of eh. It may be super weak, right? We know that people with diabetes, 100 pounds overweight, who eat a nothing but junk food diet and drink a bottle of wine every night and chain smoke, right? They have weak immune systems. They just do. And some of us have only a few of those things. And some of us like run 10 miles a day and would never in a million years drink a glass of wine, even on their birthday. And they eat a whole foods, plant-based diet and grow their food. These people tend to have a really strong immune system. And so we're all constantly confronted with pathogens. They're in us. And it is the strength of the organism that determines whether or not you get sick. That's what the terrain theory is, just to come back to that. And I, I have a few more things I want to cover Andrea, but if you're itching to talk, keep going with your stuff, go ahead. So I wanted to jump back a little, like before I got cut off and just talk a little bit more about that when the Microsoft CEO was talking about um, <clears throat> chat GPT. And basically I went on um, openai.com. I, if you guys like, I mean, I get, if you don't want, I don't know how chat GPT, if it infiltrates your computer, takes your, I don't know the background of it, but I do use it because one, I want to teach about it. And I, it's so fascinating. At this point, I'm like, they, they pretty much are, cl- they've been collecting stuff for so long. So I'm just on it. But when I went to their career page, I think it's 60% of all new hires that they're hiring for is engineers so that chat GPT can learn. The machine is going to continuously learn. And I wanted to make that point because there's over a billion people who work in front of a computer. And once GPT, and we see corporations and you know the content writers, like a, a lot of people are going to be affected by this, insurance companies, you know, just this is going to really take over with the blockchain, with artificial intelligence. And you can see how it's all connected. Even with chat GPT, with Microsoft investing, like I think it was like 49% now of the company is owned by Microsoft and how they can use chat GPT to create a narrative that they want us to hear and how difficult it would be to maintain critical thinking. So I just kind of wanted to drive that point home because this chat GPT has taken off and it's not going to stop. And so many times, especially like working pretty much the whole time in IT, I could see Once this intelligence reaches a certain point, it's really hard for a human mind to wrap our head around exponential growth. And we are there. Like AI is here. 
it ha- it's not going away and it's only going to be quicker and quicker. And the profound impact that that is going to have on our society, on our economy, it, it's, it's really hard to like wrap this all around. And at the same time, watching these centralized systems trying to wrap their arms around it to try to control all this technology, I'm telling you guys, it's not going to happen. So everybody enjoy chat GPT if you're still working because it really is a great tool. They're calling it a co-pilot. It's our co-pilot. <laughs> but when is it the pilot? In a month? In two months? Because that's how fast you know, this machine is going to keep learning and it can learn a lot more than we can. There was this great video of a young engineer who got laid off. And she went on and on and on. And she talked about chat GPT. And she mentioned that chat GPT ate her four-year degree in engineering as a meal. One meal, four years new, like engineering, just like that. And now can do code, you know? So I just, yeah. So I just want everybody to keep that in mind because, you know, it's, I, I, kind of understand it, but I, you know, to wrap my whole head around it and then to think about the average person, this isn't something that they've been, you know, talking to us about, right? Like, hey, the world's changing. Let's prepare. Let's get people re-educated, retrained. Don't worry if you're a taxi driver or truck driver, just go into data analytics. Not going to happen. It's a totally different area of, of work and, and, and how we use our mind, you know? So, and I think that event they'll try to push that central bank digital currency, but again, we have to accept it. So the number one thing that we can do is to not download that Fed app, to not accept that money from the government, because I'm telling you guys, I was telling Robin this, in Nigeria, there's like 200 million people that have refused to download uh, Nigeria's e-Naira, which is the central bank digital currency of Nigeria. So how does the government respond? Well, you can only take out 40, 50 bucks a day. You have a limit of $250 a week. So what do the people in Nigeria do? They use Bitcoin. And what we've been saying is Bitcoin is sovereign money censorship resistant, not controlled by the government. So let's just keep that in mind. The other thing I wanted to say is today, Lebanon, their currency got devalued 90%. Okay. And they're turning to Bitcoin. El Salvador had an $800 million bond that matured in Bitcoin. They paid their loan off to the IMF. Wow. If you guys don't know this, El Salvador made its um, sovereign currency Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin is money there. And there's Americans that have run over there and started businesses there and started hiring people because you can hire someone, train them as a professional. They're eager. They want to work, unlike a lot of Americans. And gone over there. Mark Moss did. He went over there and started a business, made a whole little tiny documentary about it. You know, and all that because all they had to do is have a cell phone and you could pay them with their cell phone. And they were, they were, 
in their now native currency of Bitcoin, they were able to receive um, payments. So did you want to wrap that subject up, Andrea? Because I have a few more. But oh, Andrea and I are going to do next week, we're going to talk about detaching, how you detach. I mean, there's she's touching on it right now. Yeah. D- just be, be aware that FedNow is coming. You guys know I did a webinar on it several months ago. You must see it. Uh, deep dive on what it is and how they're going to lure you into it and what the sex appeal is of it. But she's right. Like you have to know that it's coming or else you'll just be like, okay, let me sign up for this cool new app. Everything in one place, all for my convenience. And and Robin, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to, I, cause I was doing a deep dive on the fed now this week. And I want to share with you um, a piece of my research, and I want to show the infiltration of the World Economic Forum. We'll just take a second. All right. I'll, I'll cover a few things. I know we're jumping around topics, you guys, but that's what coverage of the World Economic Forum is. There's so much here. And so Andrea and I have just been you know, doing as much research as we can in the last week, watching as many of the talks as we can. Not that we're excited by it, but just because we want to educate you guys and be your Cliff's Notes. That's what we're we're trying to do. But John Kerry on the stage literally called himself at Davos an extraterrestrial saving the planet. And I think that's interesting insight into how they see themselves. Um, you know, a lot of us conspiracy theorists get um, made fun of for, you know, David Icke thinks that people are half lizard. I don't, I, I used to roll my eyes at that too. I have an employee who's way into that stuff. And honestly, I really can't watch Tony Fauci the last three years and think he's entirely human. Um, there's a guy named Alex Epstein. I think I mentioned him before. He's out. He's all over the media. He's in Fox News recently. Um, very articulate guy, 42 years old. And he wrote a book called Fossil Future. And uh, I've seen a bunch of his interviews, but at Davos, they never talk about our need for oil and gas. They never talk about the the heavy need we need, even if we're going to shift to everything being electrical, um, they just won't promote them. Even though, you know, you got John Kerry on the stage. I can't wait to say about Al Gore here in a second. Oh my gosh. Um, but they, they, even though the temperature is up only 1% worldwide, uh, the carbon dioxide that they constantly go on and on about that Al Gore has been talking about since I was in college that was going to melt all the glaciers and kill everybody. And Paul Ehrlich was out there when I was a little girl saying that we were going to die of overpopulation. And But I, I guess he doesn't want to die because he's like in his 90s now. Like if it's all about that the old people shouldn't eat all the bananas so that the young monkey, you know, the old monkeys eat all the bananas that the young monkeys need, then why does, why does he get to be here, right? But, you know, he, he's this famous biologist. He's, he was on 60 Minutes recently, and he's wrong, he's been wrong about everything, but they keep pushing him because, you know, it morphs from in the 1960s and 1970s, we're all going to die of overpopulation to we're punching holes in the ozone layer to we're creating too much carbon dioxide. We're now um, putting out 10% of the carbon dioxide that we used to. They know that. And the water is rising less than it has in generations. But does the World Economic Forum back off of it at all? No, there's there's zero apologies in anything that I heard. There's zero pivots turning away from it. They basically completely double down. Um, Jordan Peterson, I, I don't geek out on very many people, but Jordan Peterson, just because uh, like I don't like everything about him, he got the jabs and then 
you know, said, well, maybe we need to give up some of our freedom, even though he's this hardcore conservative. Um, but he he realized the error of his ways and he's he's on the right side of that situation now. But I just love Jordan Peterson for what an incredible communicator he is. I also geek out about Catherine Austin Fitz. So these are people I'll listen to just because they're such brilliant uh, communicators. But both Jordan Peterson and Alex Epstein, this guy who wrote this book, Fossil Future, um, they tweeted and Elon Musk retweeted them uh, about Paul Ehrlich, this 92-year-old biologist who got so much play and millions and millions of Americans read his book in 1970s saying that we were all going to die of overpopulation, right? And, And on 60 Minutes, Ehrlich was asked, well, you know, some people say that you're wrong about stuff. And he said, I haven't been wrong about anything basic. Haven't been wrong about anything basic. It's completely insane. He's been wrong about everything basic. Um, Al Gore is on the stage. I, I cannot even believe how out of touch this man is. He literally said that the oceans are boiling. Okay, I'm not kidding. Just, you know, let that wash over you. He said that the boiling oceans, he literally said that. Um, he said that 90% of electricity is generated by green energy. He's he's living on some different planet than I'm living on. But instead of saying that his plans are a fail, he keeps changing his messaging. He's been lying to us for decades. He's completely doubling down. He was shouting on the stage. You think I'm animated right now? Okay, just take what I'm how I'm talking and 10 exit. And that's Al Gore on the stage. He 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 said that climate change has has caused a billion refugees. Well, let's just ignore the fact that the scandemic, you know, destroyed economies and that people don't have a place to live or, or money for food or don't have a job. That's where the billion refugees came from, not not climate change. He's 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 the extraterrestrial, right? He's in front of the World Economic Forum. He has a short amount of time to speak and twice he talked about an autistic teenage girl. Right. Y'all know who I'm talking about. And he's so upset that the autistic teenage girl, who's the Trojan horse for the climate change thing, because I don't know who has terrified this little girl so that she wants everybody to be cut off from oil and gas and she doesn't care who has to die. Um, And he quotes her saying, blah, blah, blah. That's the quote that Al Gore gives of the autistic teenage girl. I'm talking about Greta Thunberg, you guys, if you don't know who I'm talking about. But the, the last thing, I was scrolling through my notes. I have so much to tell you, but the one more thing, if I could only talk about one thing, just because we've been talking about energy, they had a panel where um, like a top executive at a, at a California power company was talking and she was telling this story and she, she really acted like it was this, you know, like red button Cuban missile crisis kind of moment where in California in September, you remember they had some energy crisis in California and they were about to hit like peak energy usage that would potentially shut the whole thing down. And so she said, our transformers kicked in and it was so great. And now we have digital twins of our transformers. So we have a backup system for it. Just like Andrea said, it's not all bad, right? That doesn't sound bad, right? And then she said, um, she said, we're, we're right before a crisis and the energy grid could potentially have crashed and we sent out a text. And she said, it was really great. Our energy consumption in California from sending out a text uh, brought the energy usage down 20%. So they were able to send everybody out a text. And so you think you're hearing this great story of how like the people get behind it, the people voluntarily decrease, you know, turn the lights off or whatever. 
right? Remember when they told people not to charge their electric cars? And it was like three days after Governor Newsom said that he's going to make oil and gas cars illegal to sell in in 2030, I believe it is. So it was this ironic thing, and you heard it in the alt media. But anyway, so she says, yeah, so our energy usage came down 20%. It saved the power grid. And so you think we have this like cool story. Here's where she goes with that. She says, so we have smart meters. And if we can do that with it, why would we send people a text? That's just so, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here a little, right? But she kind of seemed to imply like, that's so old school. old school. We have smart meters. We should just choke people down on their energy usage. We have We have all these electric cars, just turn them off. Okay. And that's where, you know, it's almost like they have it planned because then they have somebody from the peanut gallery who says, yeah, well, I hate to tell you guys this. I know you don't want to hear it, but oil and gas is still necessary and we still need subsidies. Of course, they always pitch, you know, they, they always are in there saying we need subsidies. We don't, we don't need them forever. Someday we'll be, someday we'll be um, profitable with all this green energy. But then another guy, I told you there's there was a guy who was like, the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States is so great. We just really need to be will, willing to borrow and spend a lot. And then another guy said that we're spending $1.50 on green energy for every dollar we're spending on oil and gas. So think exploration, development of new pipelines, whatever. So we're spending 50% more on green energy, he goes, but we need to be spending $9 on green energy for every $1 on oil and gas. So the whole mythology that we're about to run out of oil and gas and and we're destroying, you know, we're creating climate change and we're all going to drown or whatever whatever the next thing is. Um that is alive and well at Davos, right? And and they want it to seem real. I mean, maybe I'm reading between the lines too much, but they they have somebody pipe up and say something really mild to just kind of speak up for the fact that we're not ready to to cut off oil and gas yet, but yeah, if you if you watch, like you you don't get a sense that there's like these evil people sitting around rubbing their hands together, hoping we die. You don't get that sense at all, right? Um, but definitely, the message was we need the central banks to be ready to spend a lot of money. So we're supposed to see the central banks as the savior, and oh, and oh, thank you, central banks, because you have so much money that you will bless us with and bestow upon us so that we don't all die of climate change or whatever. So lots of conversation about the rich countries need to finance the poor countries, a lot of that. So yeah, I won't go into my metaverse panels that I watch. You've talked about some of that. They had Brian, Brian Seltzer who got fired by CNN last year because he was so unpopular. He was at Davos. They put him on the stage with the snow crash author guy. So it's a, it's an interesting mix of people there. I don't know how they make the cut, who they invite. Maybe if you have the money, I don't know, but anything else you want to cover? Yeah. I just wanted to still get back to the, you know, the fed now. Um, so fed now is going live, right? The payments at, um, May, June or July of this year. In Austin on June uh, June 13th and 14th, Transform Payments USA 2023. Bernadette Kespa is the VP of the Fed now. So she's like the head of product development, works at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. And I want to make this point because look at who's talking. We have Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Barrows a Bank, Perv you know, with um, digital assets, Truist, 
Let's keep scrolling down. And who do we see right here? Brinley Lair, head of blockchain and digital assets from the World Economic Forum. She is stationed in California. So this is like very, very concerning because it looks like the World Economic Forum with their, you know, we talked about that, that the young global um, leadership program, you know, they're shaping society with all these young leaders who go into like big time cabinets, become governors. They're in our Congress, like Newsom was part of it, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Justin Trudeau, so many people that are in positions of power. And now we see somebody from the World Economic Forum, the head of blockchain on this panel with the Federal Reserve Bank talking about the Fed now payments. So this can be the stepping stone to, you know, it's going to be institutions and financial payments first, but when is it going to come down to retail, to, to us, right? We're retail. So I just wanted to, uh, to mention that. Um, Rochelle is saying, do you know anything about this new ID requirement for state to state flights called real ID? Do you mean if I'm flying from Wyoming to Florida, state to state, what does state to state mean? And if there's any way to shut that down? It's, yeah, it's- I, I, we've been shutting this down for, for, I think over a decade now, they've been trying to push this. You can opt out. Uh, when you go get your driver's license and show your passport, because the new driver's license has the ability to facially recognize you and they want everyone to have a real ID, um, you know, to get up to, to, for domestic flights. The other thing is too, like even in here in Florida, they are piloting a digital driver's license. So again, it's going to be a fight of centralized systems and to be decentralized. But when they push us up against the wall, don't worry. I'm here for everyone. There's always a way out of it. There's always a way to opt out of some of these things, you know, and we pick our battles. But um, we're all going to probably have a digital ID. We just want to make sure that we can have a decentralized one. I feel like we've completely firehosed you, which was kind of our intention. And somebody said to me the other day about someone they watched that they talked too fast. And I'm like, ooh, ouch. Probably probably people think that about me. It's because, you know what? I listen to all my content at 1.75x speed. And I just... Some, well, or 1.5, depending on how fast the person naturally talks. But I just want to download the information quickly. I'm I'm a fast reader and fast listener, so I apologize if I talk too fast. But um, I see Glenn saying, "Where is my Fed Now webinar posted?" Oh, look at Caroline. I was like, I bet Caroline could dig it up. Look, boom, two seconds later, there it is. So grab that um, link. If you haven't seen the Fed Now webinar, just so you know what it is, I firehose you just like I did tonight. Only I don't jump around topics. It's more linear and a deeper dive into one subject, but it's takeactionforfreedom.com slash fed now. Lori's saying that Al Gore is talking about methane hydrates when he says boiling oceans. Yeah, he's probably talking to the insiders who know what it is he means by boiling oceans. So to me, boiling means you reach a certain temperature and the water boils. So yeah, my ocean that I live on 
it is exactly like it was when I was a little kid, just in case anybody's worrying about the oceans, which you're probably not. Um, Carlotti says, not too fast for me. Thanks so much for all this info. You know, it'd be really great, you guys. Anybody who wants to write us a little testimonial, a few sentences of the value of being in this mastermind, sure would love it. We are going to um, rebrand and, and promote again early March to my audience. Um, so we will get much bigger in March. I've been holding back on that because we've already done the change. We're covering things that aren't just crypto. We've been doing preparedness. We've been doing what the globalists are up to. What does that have to do with you? Um, next week, Andrea and I are thinking of doing like, how would you put it, Andrea? It's like basically detaching from the matrix, all your ideas on how we detach, right? Yeah. Like opting out of, of, of centralization because there's, there's what, right. So like we, we come up, we're talking about all these different problems, but there are solutions that are coming. So we want to focus on that as well. Um, another concern, um, and I know I kind of mentioned mentioned this to you in the past, Robin, is that we want to look at, you know, when the WEF talks about um, censorship, right, and creating a narrative that's going to be like mainstream for everybody. In the United States of America, there's going to be a big bill that they're going to try to overturn Section 230. And, and what this bill does is that it doesn't hold accountable the content that gets put online. Okay, so if they overturn 230, that's a massive gateway into censoring people like all of us who aren't part of the narrative. Um, there was a big case a long time ago with the Village Voice. They were um, using a website called Backpage, and basically they were using it to sex traffic children. There's a difference between an illegal activity, which they should have stopped. They did not get in trouble because 230 protected them. And now, because we are the dissenters of the narrative, critically thinking, well, now they want to overturn that and make platforms like, you know, Facebook, Twitter, um, they want to make them uh, responsible for what we, the content that we say. And there, there's a big difference between harming a person and disagreeing with the narrative or critically thinking and questioning something. We had another document come out for kind of like mitigating cryptocurrency risk. The Financial Oversight Committee has a 125-page paper. I see the oversight of cryptocurrency coming. And, you know, these are some of the things we want to watch out for because this is mainstream globally. Like they're, they're passing like a digital, uh, a digital act in the European Union now, right? And, and a lot of it has to do with censorship. So we want to keep an eye on this. So how and again, would you sum it up? Since we can't cover that in detail, are you still bullish on holding crypto? 100%. Okay. We are bullish on holding crypto. We are moving into a new economy 
And this new economy is leveraged on technology. And that technology is the blockchain and cryptocurrency. So follow up with the Ripple case. So the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, they they dropped a lawsuit on a, on a cryptocurrency project called Library. Library lost. There was an appeal. They went back to court. And what, what the ruling was is that when Library sold tokens to investors, that's a security contract, but not to not to like retail users, not to the secondary market. That is not a security. Same with XRP. Ripple is a centralized company that developed a platform for cross-border payments and central bank digital currencies. The XRP ledger is a decentralized ledger that um, developers can come and build applications on just like Ethereum, just like Cosmos, just like Tezos, just like Polkadot. These are all some more decentralized than others, but they all have a component of decentralization. So they're two separate things. So I'm bullish on XRP because when the lawsuit's over, I look at the library token. The library token went up 144%. With this appeal that they won, the library token project is in bankruptcy. Ripple as a company and XRP is flourishing. It's being used for cross-border payments in Japan, and it's big part of SBI holdings, and it's being used for, you know, just exchanges. So again, we're still in the early stages, but you know, as it goes on, we'll get more and more in depth. But I wanted to make that clear because it's such a good point. And so many people don't understand Ripple, XRP, Ledger, and XRP. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. And I don't think we can take this subject on as we're in over an hour and a half. Um, right. But is owning Bitcoin anonymously a safer bet in this economic shift? I I, I mean, you're going to put it on a cold wallet. I don't know how you get it on and off of a exchange without it tracking to you can't you can't own it anonymously can you you absolutely can okay so here's a good example and it's a great point so let's say you bought bitcoin on coinbase and you sent it to your trezor from trezor you could send it to let's say trade over which is a decentralized exchange get that address and then send it back to your ledger, send it to your safe pal. And you can keep shuffling the coins. And it's a lot of work for the government or these IRS agents who have no idea about cryptocurrency. They'll never find out that you're holding that crypto and where it is. So if it gets to that point, we can all transfer our coins around and, and keep them very, very safe. We flew through that owning Bitcoin anonymously. It's kind of like the Bitcoin equivalent of um, filing the registration number off your gun. Right? Right. Right. <laughs> right. And so if you keep Bitcoin on your ledger, SafePal Trezor, the government cannot confiscate it. They cannot bail themselves in because you hold your private keys. If you hold your Bitcoin on Grayscale, Fidelity Digital Assets Platform, BlackRock's platform, your Bitcoin could be bailed in. 
different, same Bitcoin, but where you hold it, very, very important. Just remember, they come for your gun. You lost it on the lake, out on the lake. Just joking around with you guys. Um, <laughs> so thanks for coming, everyone. We have lots more content. So many things that we want to get to. Um, thanks for hanging and banging with us while we um, fire hose you with World Economic Forum content. And you guys are great. We really enjoy being here with you and we need to grow our numbers. The world is waking up. Nigeria is... The, the reason the Nigerians are standing up to their government is that their government has been so corrupt for so long. It's certainly not that Nigerians are so wealthy. In America, we have not realized until the last three years. Very few of us realize how dirty our overlords are and how the deep state controls everything and how the elections are rigged. But I think maybe everybody here, there's probably, I bet there's five of you here who've known this stuff for 20 years. I mean, I've known that the Federal Reserve isn't federal and it was, you know, organized by a group of billionaire banksters in 1913. I've known that for like 15 years, but my husband's known a whole ton of it. But they don't, then you can't talk about it in the general public because then, like, all your normie friends don't want to be your friend anymore. It's getting to the point where you could practically strike up a conversation with a stranger about this stuff and make new friends everywhere you go. And I bet you guys have made some, some new friends. Like, I don't know about you, but my whole, my whole social life has um, reorganized. You know, some of my good friends are not to name drop, but Fran Drescher. And Kathy Smith. Kathy Smith invented aerobics, and they were my two biggest COVID idiot friends. And both of them smacked the crap out of me in 2020. And now I have all you new friends. So I'll just hand off. Um, I'll I'll just hand off Fran Drescher and Kathy Smith to um, their hypochondria. They don't leave their house anyway. And I've been really grateful for the opportunity to form new communities and new bonds learn new stuff. We have to, we get to, and I get, I'm glad I get to do it with you guys. So we'll see you again next week. Yep. Okay. Thanks Same so much, here. Andrea. You're awesome. Yep. Bye Same everyone. Here, you guys. Hey everyone, it's Robin again. And I just want to tell you, thank you for joining us for this conversation. It was long. It was a fire hose, but I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to join us in the mastermind, check out the link down below and uh, I'm offering a free month and $30 off per month after that locked in. And you can cancel at any time, 100% money back guarantee. But basically, I listen to a ton of content online. I probably spend 20 hours a week listening to financial analysis and trying to figure out how to pivot. I've gotten out of real estate. Um, I owned a couple dozen real estate doors and I owned them free and clear. And it was my retirement plan. And I saw from all my own research that in 2022, I better sell those properties. I have 10 reasons why I think that rental real estate is a very bad idea currently and ongoing. Um, I'll cover that in a future mastermind. We didn't get to it in this conversation, but that's the kind of research that we cover next week. We are talking about 10 different ways that you can detach yourself from these systems. They can't make us get in these systems. There always has to be choice. Just like nobody was actually wrestled to the ground and forced to get a certain injection that there were 300 million doses of in the United States in the course of two years. Nobody can make you join these systems, but you have to be educated. You have to be aware. I hope you'll join the mastermind. All of our past lives that we've done that are like this one that you just listened to are all in there. So you can go check out my FedNow 
webinar where I do a deep dive about what they're bringing to us this summer, where they want to bring all financial services under one umbrella and have the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government um, and the globalists control your future. So lots of content that we cover. It's not something people say, how do I detach from the matrix? And they'll say that on Facebook. And I'm like, I I really can't thumb text this. It's really an education process. And we are on the bleeding edge, Coach Andrea and I and the other coaches, to figure out how we can preserve our wealth and how we can be prepared, how we can prepare ourselves in all ways so that we can live in a a parallel economy if it comes to that and what, what we need to do and what we need to know. So please do join us. I'll share a link with you down below. And thanks for being here. I'll see you next time.